I am Morgan, and I am in Florida. How does it sound, Ben? Good. Good. Should we keep going? Mm Mm-hmm. Have you been writing any jokes recently? Not really. Not really. Should we do should we do best of some of your favorite jokes? Sure. Okay. Go ahead. Why can't a nose be twelve inches long? Why? Because it would be a foot. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's very funny. Do you know any other jokes? Why did the girl throw a clock out of the window? I don't know. To see time fly. <laughs> you like that one, Ben? Ben, do you do you like to tell jokes? Yeah. What are some of your favorite jokes? Hmm. Why did Why did a piggy cross the road? I don't know. Why did a piggy cross the road? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yum's the word. Haven't you heard? Yum's the word. It was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And her hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. Two stories, some awkward. Like wedding the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people too. This is for everyone. Except kids. Yum's the word. Hey everybody, welcome to Yum's the Word. I'm Robin Gelfenbein, and at the top you heard my seven-and-a-half-year-old niece, Morgan, and my four, almost five-year-old nephew, Ben, from our recent trip to Florida. Now, I would like to point out that I in absolutely no way have swayed Morgan to start writing and telling jokes, but I haven't necessarily stopped her either. I love that she's exploring this on her own, and while I am 100% biased, I think she's pretty damn clever and creative. And yes, funny. Would you agree, Alex? I would totally agree. Is that because I'm putting you on the spot? Maybe a little bit. But also, <laughs> but also she is funny. She is. Um, so spring is here. Are you excited, Alex? Very. Yeah, I'm so thrilled to hopefully not be wearing winter coats and boots and all that anymore. Yep. I'm excited to not bring puddles into my apartment anymore. Yeah, totally. I am grateful that I don't have a car to have to like, clean off. True. So many cars stuck in snowbanks. Yeah, that's... So given that we're changing seasons, today's stories are all about change. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Please tell me you know that song. Thank God. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Well, I'm just glad I finally picked a song that you're familiar with. Today we've got two absolutely incredible storytellers sharing how their lives were changed in ways they could have never expected. Now both of these stories were recorded a while back, so please forgive the sound quality a wee bit and enjoy. First up is Tara Clancy. She's a Moth Grand Slam winner, and she's written for the New York Times, the Paris Review, and her new memoir, which I'll tell you about after her story. She told this hilarious story at our two-year anniversary show back in August of 2013. It's the tale of how her life turned upside down when she was a kid. At 20 years old, my mother had hardly been outside of Brooklyn. Uh, And when she did finally leave uh, a year later, uh, it was only because she married a cop from Queens, uh, which she then called the country. (laughs) (laughs) So that cop uh, was my father. But by the time I was two, they had divorced. uh, And to make a little extra money afterwards, she decided to take on a weekend job 
cleaning apartments. Uh, and so the very first was this duplex with Manhattan skyline views filled with antiques and, and artwork. Uh, but as it wound up, uh, it would be her last. Because over the course of a year, she went from being the cleaning lady to the secretary to the girlfriend of the multimillionaire who owned it. Now, they never ended up living together uh, full time, but she and I would go on to spend every weekend with him and then every weekday back home in Queens, living this totally dual life uh, for the next 22 years. All right, so to give you an idea of what this looked like, uh, if it was a, a Wednesday after school, I would probably be, you know, playing handball with the rest of the kids from PS 133, right? But if it were a Friday after school, I would probably be getting into the back of the stretch limo he sent for me to go to his mansion uh, in the Hamptons. Uh, in fact, usually it would be me uh, and my best friend Esther. And when we jumped in with our, you know, high tops and quarter waters, you know, he'd be sitting in the way back uh, in a pinstripe suit reading the Times. Now, he was actually uh, six foot ten. So, <laughs> so even seated, his knees were as tall, you know, as we were, you know, and they would rock in and out as we drove, uh, him reading and us playing. Went to store, get a stick of butter, store James Brown, I said, wait a minute, but took a piece of glass, shoved up his ass, never seen a motherfucker run so fast. <laughs> 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 You know, we didn't always, of course, you know, travel uh, by stretch limo. You know, if, uh, if it was a, uh, a holiday weekend, you know, he anticipated bad traffic or whatever, uh, he would just charter a private plane. <laughs> right. And so it was then that, you know, we just became like, you know, super women, you know, able to jump social strata in a single bound. <laughs> My mother would, would drive us to the airport in her beat-up cutlass uh, while you know, like doing her mascara in the rear view and smoking a cigarette, you know? But then we would get there and like, you know, take a breath and sashay out on the <laughs> you know, suddenly doing our best impression of anyone with an upbringing different than ours. <laughs> That the, uh, the truth is that the, the acting wasn't necessary. Uh, to his uh, credit, uh, he never asked us to change. Uh, in fact, uh, instead, uh, he started throwing an annual summer party uh, for my mom's entire Brooklyn Italian family. Okay? And there they would be, uh, all my uh, five aunts, five uncles, and 17 first cousins piling out of planes at East Hampton Airport. <laughs> from Jersey would be, you know, lining up for plates of the French country picnic-inspired fair, and my, uh, my uncle Sal, who was a Vietnam vet and ran a dive bar, uh, would be out playing croquet. <laughs> 
he he actually uh, he got so good that at one point him and my mother's boyfriend uh, teamed up for a tournament in Central Park, and he was my tough ass uncle wearing all white and kicking old money ass. <laughs> But come the weekend, you know, we were the Jeffersons. <laughs> <laughs> and now the truth is, you know, it was it was probably as much fun, you know, for us being in his world as it was seeing him in our world. You know, like you know, there he would be at our you know Jets tailgate parties. You know, at 8 a.m. in a Burberry coat. Uh, you know, drinking his Delamont cognac out of a plastic cup. You know. <laughs> Or, you know, at Christmas, you know, all 40 of us, you know, crammed into my grandmother's basement in Queens and, you know, all six foot ten of him wedged between my Aunt Lucille and my Uncle Tony on a fold-out chair eating a meatball. <laughs> uh, and so this all went on uh, for 22 years. Uh, and, and then it came to an end, uh, as relationships do. Uh, and Sometime afterward, my mother wound up uh, marrying a guy who grew up around the corner from her in Brooklyn, uh, who is a mailman. Uh, they are still married. Uh, and I'm very sure that not many people in their circle uh, know that she has, uh, you know, flown the, the Concorde to London twice, you know? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I think probably all of it can be best summed up by this. Uh, I have a three-year-old son now, uh, and while my mother likes to play him, uh, you know, Vivaldi during dinner, uh, she has also bought him a tiny velour tracksuit. <laughs> Thanks a lot. That was Tara Clancy. You can find Tara on Twitter at Tara Clancy NYC, and be sure to check out her debut memoir, The Clancy's of Queens, which was named a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers pick. Okay, next up is more of my conversation with Morgan, where we talk more about her jokes, and I try to teach her one that I come up with right on the spot. You have a joke book? Yeah. Where'd you get that? Um, at a place. I just don't know what's called. Mm-hmm. And then I learned um, the other one from Go Noodle. What's that? It's a fun game that we play at school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there might be a Go Noodle app. No way. Should we go Noodle look for it? Uh, maybe. Did you not like that joke? I liked it, but I didn't get it. I was going to say, should we go look for it? Oh, I say, should we go look for it? That's the better way to say it, right? <laughs> go noodle look for it. <laughs> yeah. You say, go, should we go look for it? Then it's more obvious, right? Mm. You're not convinced. Yeah. Oh. oh, and I got an eye roll. Eye rolls are not very nice. Sorry. Still don't know how to control those. <laughs>
Don't worry, Morgan. You'll eventually learn how to control them. All right, next up is R. Eric Thomas. Eric is an award-winning playwright, moth host, and storyteller who's performed on Risk, the soundtrack series, and more. He's written for Marie Claire, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and he writes a daily online humor column for Elle. Eric told this story in May of 2013. The theme of the night was Ice Cream Social, Stories of Social Media. This is his tale of the way his life changed when a piece that he wrote got some unexpected attention. So, like most of you here, I grew up poor and black in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> so, you heard this already, just go ahead. I hated it, and I was miserable. And, I, I, and so, you know, as soon as I had the chance, I beat it out of there. I came up here, I went to school here in New York, went to Columbia, um, which was the first of a, of a, a decade full of uh, mistakes. Uh, and, and this isn't a story about, about that mistake, it's a story about a, a slightly larger mistake. And so, you know, suffice to say, uh, Columbia sort of ended weirdly, and by 2002, I was uh, back in Baltimore living in my parents' basement um, and substitute teaching kindergarten while the real teacher was in rehab. <laughs> it was like the a start to my adulthood. And I was miserable, I was miserable all the time, and I would come home from, uh, from teaching, and I would, you know, I would, I would use all my coping mechanisms to sort of improve my mood. And the coping mechanisms I had at that time were uh, to make a really big Long Island iced tea and to log on to a 56K modem um, and I get all online uh, and rant about my feelings. Because nothing says mental health like online ramblings. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, 56K modem, that was, that was the big time. I came from Ethernet uh, in college, but back in, 50, you know, back in Baltimore, we just had the 56K, but I still felt like I was like really on the cutting edge, you know, like there was that sound, that great sound, we were just talking about it at the table earlier, like that, that, that meant like you were about to have an experience. <laughs> <laughs> and the experience that I had online most of the time was just this, this, this uh, constant complaint. I had nothing positive to say, and Lot Journals was a great place to put all those, all those thoughts. Um, at Baltimore, you know, in Baltimore, there's a lot to rant about. And if you don't know Baltimore, um, you hear, well, this is all you really need to know. You can learn from, you know, watching The Wire or from Hairspray, you know? Baltimore's <laughs> right. a place where, you know, there's constant racial problems, uh, drugs, uh, and dancing. <laughs> that, is, that is what it is. Um, and uh, the first issue, the first thing was always on my mind. Race. Race was all about race. And I felt like I had escaped it when I came to New York. In New York, I felt like I was... Was was different, and I was a was a blossoming young talent, and I was uh, I had diverse friends, an open heart, and a full head of hair. I, I took most of my self actualization from Felicity uh, at the time. <laughs> but in Baltimore, I was I was this internet troll, and I was acutely aware of all the weird exigencies of race, and it made me really upset. And I don't I write about it all the time. But one uh, one Halloween, I, uh, I I just wrote in this rant about all the uh, all the different like sexy girl costumes, because I just found them so ridiculous. And I, I picked out one girl who, who was wearing a uh, sexy Snow White costume, because, you know, why not sexy Snow White? Uh, but the issue was that this was an African-American girl wearing a sexy Snow White costume. And I'm sorry, you can't be Snow White if you're a black girl. <laughs> the, the funny characteristics of Snow White are, you know, uh, apple uh, in hand, one mic taken, a little black bob, adorable, red bow, and, um, a skin is white as snow. <laughs> so, uh, and, uh, that's like me shaving my head and saying, I'm black Lex Luthor. Like, I'm not. I'm, I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like, that's what that's what that's, what, that's not even here or there. I just want to say that. So the race was everywhere. And, 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 
and I was constantly aware. Um, in the fall, I, I went back to school. I went back in uh, New York, in Baltimore, went to the University of Maryland. Um, and I didn't join any clubs. I didn't do anything except for uh, volunteer for the student newspaper because they gave me free tickets to theater. And that's really a, all I wanted to do was just see theater, get on a live journal, complain my life. Um, <laughs> I took a sociology course, and we were reading uh, Putting Hit Wilson by Mark Twain. Um, and I learned about this idea of white privilege. And I was like, I like that. That sounds nice. That's like a really great thing. Um, and I don't have time to tell you what, what privilege is, but I assume you know what it is. Um, and uh, I didn't get that I, like, I couldn't because I was black. I couldn't have white privilege. Like, I just silly. Like, I like all the things that white people like. I like Vikram Yoga and West Anderson movies. You know, and whatever. So, but I, I wanted it. And I was angry that I couldn't have it. February of that year, I was walking through this, the, the school bookstore, um, and they had this display of, of all these books uh, by African-American authors. And above the, the display, there was a sign that said, uh, from bondage to books, Black History Month. <laughs> <laughs> and it had a picture of Harriet Tubman and a picture of Colin Powell. And I, kind of, I read it, and I did like a weird double take. <laughs> and I gave it like a Claire Huxtable at one eyebrow ring. <laughs> And to this day, I still don't know whether my reaction was fueled by, by you know, like by the incipient anger that I just had always boiling beneath the surface that wasn't really about the sign, or whether I was right. But I was infuriated by that sign. The sign to me said, oh, the history of black, the history of black America can be boiled down to like slavery, the Middle Passage, uh, civil rights, and whatever it is that Colin Powell means to you, which is a complicated <laughs> And I was insane with fury. And so I did what any budding internet troll would do. <laughs> I got on my computer and I wrote about it. I decided that I was going to write an article for the school newspaper. And again, all I had written previously was movie reviews and theater reviews, but I was like, I have an editorial and you're going to publish it. And I decided that it needed to be a satire. Now, plenty of people, <laughs> plenty of people have written satire very well, and plenty of people continue to do it even today. John Stewart does satire very well. The Onion, most of the time, does satire very well. Stephen Colbert. Eric Thomas is not among that group. <laughs> I had I, I didn't really know what satire was. I just thought it was like sarcasm and anger. Um, and so, <laughs> so I write this article. Um, I had read a mod's proposal by Jonathan Swift in 10th grade, um, but I didn't really remember what it was about, like eating kids or something. Who cares? It's kind of gross. <laughs> so I just wrote this article that I called From Bondage to Books. Colin, an idiot's guide to black history. <laughs> And the article takes the caustic view that Black History Month is useless and that blacks haven't really done much to contribute to society. And I use these really incendiary phrases like, I'm okay, going away, what else do I have to say? <laughs> I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> and I emailed it to the editor of the newspaper, and he published it. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I guess to give me something to say while I'm on stage ten years later. <laughs> It went to press on Thursday, and we had just launched our online component. Uh, and so the article was also online, and it had my email address at the bottom. Oh for my God. And <laughs> now this is important. I, my, name is, my name is Robert Eric Thomas. I go by R. Eric Thomas. And um, it, you know, it's, it's an ambiguous name, purposely. My parents didn't want me to be identifiable by race. 
that was that's usually good for jobs or whatever, or, you know, whatever. Like I would work for racists. Well, who cares? The point is, how <laughs> color I am when they see my name on a piece of paper. That was a problem here. <laughs> By Saturday, I had a thousand emails in my inbox. Oh my god! And the number continued to grow as the weekend turned to Monday. People started uh, passing it around through listservs. The National Association of Black Journalists got a hold of it. And then things really started to blow up. And I was in, I was, I thought I was famous. Going viral back then. Like now, you know, you take a picture of your cat and next thing you know, you're on Katie Carrot. But today, like there was still this idea that like, like there was this untapped gold of internet fame. And I was, I was delighted. I hadn't read them yet. It was too many. So I started opening them. And they said things like, Dear white devil, <laughs> you are a Klansman and you should die. These are exact quotes. And I was perplexed. And it wasn't until I opened one for, uh, inviting me to speak at an ultra-nationalist rally that I thought, maybe they haven't quite understood that it was a satire. <laughs> in Kentucky, I was like, I'll come speak at your school. Oh my God. I just want to make sure you know that I'm a black person. They weren't pleased with that. Oh. <laughs> honestly, I will speak anywhere. Robin was like, I'll give you cake. And I was like, I'm on a bus. <laughs> <laughs> Things on campus were fraught. But because I didn't know anyone, I didn't make any friends, nobody knew who I was. Nobody could say, oh, no, I know that guy. He's black and angry, but he's not a racist. <laughs> the Black Student Union held a, a town hall, and it's a huge lecture hall. Uh, and apparently everyone was invited, except for me. <laughs> and so I went, anyway, because whatever. And I stood in the back, and I just listened to all these people talk about how angry they were hurt they were, and they talked about this racist named Eric Thomas. <clears throat> I turned to a, a guy next to me, and I was like, this is some shit, right? And he's like, yeah, this guy, Eric Thomas, sounds like a real asshole. And I was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his grammar is impeccable. <laughs> dashing, really. <laughs> and thankfully, yeah, I just sort of tottered off into the night. And I tell you what, I felt good. Because I had that thing that I thought I wanted so bad. I had a little bit of privilege. All of them in that room were talking about, they were in us. They were talking about how, how bad we felt. And for once, I wasn't part of that. I was them. I was the enemy. But I was the only one in that room who didn't know that the enemy didn't even exist. And that felt good at that time. Thankfully, the, the whole controversy died down pretty quickly. Um, people found out what color I was. Everyone had a little bit of egg on their faces.
But as the years have gone on, I've started to do other things, and so it never doesn't come up anymore. And then maybe like a year ago, I put it in a one-man show of this story, and now it keeps coming up. So what I'm saying to you is please don't Google an idiot guide like History Mom. That said, the internet, they say, is written in ink, or whatever that means. It, everything is always permanent. Nothing changes on the internet. But I tell the story, and I keep telling the story, because it's true, nothing does change on the internet. It doesn't go away. Um, but people change, and I change. Thanks for letting me care. That was our Eric Thomas. You can find Eric on Twitter at Our Eric. That's O-U-R-E-R-I-C. And you can find his hilarious writing for L at L.com. All right. So our next show is almost here. We are back on April 20th at Le Poisson Rouge. Yep, that is 420. And the theme that night is going to be High Scream stories where people said are you high so i hope that you can come check it out uh please note that we have moved it from the original date which was april 12th in case you've had that marked on your calendars for months you can get tickets and details on our site at yumsthewordshow.com also if you like what you hear please give us a quick rating and review on itunes it helps let others know about our podcast and we would totally appreciate it and finally If you or your organization are interested in learning how to tell a story, check out our Storytelling Fun 01 workshops. We just did one for City recently that was a lot of fun. And we did a really fun private event at VaynerMedia where I brought in some storytellers like Jordan Carlos from Broad City and Sashir Zameda from SNL. And some of their employees told stories. We've also done a wedding and other special occasions, and you can find all of that information on our site at yumsthewordshow.com. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton, who wrote some of the music. And the theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Special thanks to Matt Fiddler, Michael Cedar, Danny Ortiz, Megan Deneen, Carly Patron, Katie Riley, and of course, Morgan. And on this episode, Ben. I'm Robin Galvinbein. Thanks for listening. Hope you get a piece. And until next time. Oh, and I got an eye roll. Eye rolls are not very nice. Sorry. I still don't know how to control those. Yum's the word. <laughs>